Welcome to the Asia edition of Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech podcast. I'm Rachel Williamson. And I'm Karis Palmer. Every fortnight, we dissect the successes and failures of financial innovators and bring you the people at the top of their field working to disrupt banking. From traditional banks doing things differently to startups navigating the unforgiving world of financial services, I'm Simon Spencer, and this is Breaking Banks Asia. Hello and welcome to Our Bank. My name is, and I'm here to assist you with any inquiries you may have. Before we proceed, how has your day been so far? I hope you're doing well. It's always nice to have a friendly chat with our customers, so how may I assist you today? Is there anything specific that you need help with? If you're comfortable with it, I'd love to know more about you. Do you have any exciting plans for the weekend? Have you tried any good restaurants or cafes lately? As your bank representative, it's important to build a rapport with our customers and make them feel comfortable. So, if there's anything else you'd like to chat about or if you have any questions about our bank services, please don't hesitate to ask. I'm here to help you in any way I can. That's ChatGPT when we asked it to pretend to be a bank representative in Malaysia and strike up a friendly conversation with a customer. Awkward. In reality, bankers are only just starting to think about how a conversational AI like ChatGPT might be useful to them. To discuss whether ChatGPT could ever speak bank, I'm joined today by Breaking Bank's co-host, Simon Spencer, who is a bit of an international AI expert. Later, I'll speak with Sandra Ernst, COO of Igloo Insure, which is a Singapore-headquartered insurtech that's already using big data and AI to deliver its offering. So let's bring in Simon. Good morning, Simon. Good morning. It's great to be back on the show again. Simon, you have worked as head of data and AI with a big insurance firm, that's Suncorp. So tell us how it's being used there. Look, before I go there, AI has been something that I think banks have been looking at for more than a couple of decades now, you know, as various incarnations and iterations, you know, expert systems and then machine learning and chatbots and AI, and then obviously most recently OpenAI and ChatGPT. So it's it's a story that keeps coming back again and again and again. And you know, at various points, I think people have done some really interesting stuff. Um, you know, NAB did some really interesting stuff with my cyber twin and you know, Lisa Wiazli, who went on to work at IBM and then founded her own startup. Yeah, absolute pioneer. And I was actually really privileged to work with Liesl and work with those guys over at ANZ to build a prototype, you know, intelligent agent. And that was back, you know, goodness how many years ago, a long time ago, uh, back when I was at ANZ. They were early stage technologies. And in each case, it's about how do I use this within some sort of guardrails. More recently, when I was over at Suncorp, I was there for about four and a half years, doing a variety of things, including you know, trying to move their, their AI story and their machine learning story along. Um, what I saw was actually an organization that was really desperately trying to do the right things. You know, and, and actually, there's some really good stuff that's been done there. You know, the, the work they did with Chatbot, with Sunny, um, they were trying to add smarts to it. They weren't just trying to create a dumb robot that, that you know, could use some sort of knowledge base. They're actually trying to add some sort of ghosts in the machine and, and some sort of ability to do a bit more than... than to just respond to simple queries. Where I think there was some interesting work that was done, and yeah, you know, I'll take a moment of credit for it perhaps, but but you know, there was it was there were some great people do it driving it, was actually looking at ethics and looking at, you know, how do we use AI and how do we use machine learning? And there was a real desire at Suncorp and, and, and they're not alone 
um, to be beyond reproach, to use this in a way that was actually about how do I drive a better customer outcome? Uh, a few people who have known me have used me, you know, heard me talk about, you know, the, the gymnasium and the personal trainer and, and, you know, about adding more value to the experience, not just being transactional, which is obviously what a gymnasium tends to be. And and there was a real desire at Suncorp, and I think still is, a, a real desire to be beyond approach and use these technologies in a way that actually drives better outcomes for customers. And I think that's that's a path to goodness. Obviously, where we are right now, though, is it's really still early stages, and they, and they are very cautious about what they do and how they explore this uh, because you know it's easy for these things to go wrong. Yeah, well, we've reached out to a number of bankers for this episode, and no one was comfortable yet talking about how they might use Chat ChatGPT in, in, in particular. One person did say to us, since ChatGPT correlates probable answers as opposed to finding an exact truth. He was saying that that could be a deal breaker for using it in any meaningful way for customers, at least for now. Because, for example, you can't infer probable financial information. Your bank balance is either $100 or it's $5. And ChatGPT, at least, can't do that yet. So let's talk about where the game changer could be for things like ChatGPT and AI more generally. Look. This is really interesting. Um, I was, you know, again, you know, going back in my career, I was exposed to web technologies before they were even called web technologies when it was SGML. And we experience these technologies sometimes in a really early sort of nascent form. And, and, and I think we're seeing that obviously with OpenAI and ChatGPT. You're seeing the equivalent of sort of Windows 3.1, you know, which at the time was a horrendously insecure, unstable operating system, a bit of a ripoff of the Mac operating system, but actually it was a game changer for Windows and a game changer for Microsoft. And 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 obviously we're seeing the you know the equivalent of the first version of the web, you know, which again was a horrendously mature platform that didn't have transaction management, security, and a whole bunch of things that you'd take for granted today. So you're seeing ChatGPT and OpenAI as the first precursor of of what's to come. The difference, of course, is that iterations of some of those previous technologies, like the web and, and operating systems and and, and you know, so forth, were relatively slow. They took you know months and years to give you new versions of them. With ChatGPT, you can see iterations happen in, in weeks and days, or even later on in minutes and, and and even less. So we could see iterations of these technologies mature quite rapidly. It's interesting. Somebody said to me, oh, I'm an expert in ChatGPT. And I go, uh, it's only been around a short period of time. I'm not sure but you really can use that term. But but I think we will see um, a very rapid maturation. We also need to see these things for what they will become rather than what they are right now. And also work within the guardrails. Like you wouldn't have built an air traffic control system on Windows 3.1. I'm sure someone probably tried to. It probably was disastrous. Um so there are some things you should, probably shouldn't be trying to use ChatGPT, use ChatGPT for. Um, but there are definitely things you could use it for right now. Yeah, summarizing documents, producing you know an understanding of the, of the context of things. A lot of organisations have been looking at AI and and machine learning to help understand next best conversation, and they tend to use very transactional um, sort of signals to try to figure out what we should talk to the customer next about. With ChatGPT, you can have a much richer understanding of of the customer's experience, the, the sorts of contents they might want to be you know, consume, the right way to deliver a message, and then synthesize the correct message and personalize that message. So, I think we'll start to see ChatGPT used um, 
with personalization, with ways to frame the right message. If you're going to turn someone down for a loan or turn someone or, or approve someone, to, you know, you can actually put the message in a way that they will understand or, or at least give them perspective that will go, actually, that wasn't a negative experience. That was actually a personal, a coaching experience. Again, going back to that personal trainer. So I do think that organizations should be looking very closely at this, you know, We've had a decade of, or two decades really, of organizations building what I've tend to describe as dumb veneers against even dumber backends. You know, they might be slick, they might have swipe left, swipe right, and they might look great, but they're relatively unintelligent. They're transactional. I think we're going to now see a decade of people building very sophisticated experiences, potentially against equally dumb backends, but those sophisticated experiences will be contextually aware. They'll be sensitive to what's going on and they'll probably be much more personalized. And I think ChatGPT and OpenAI will open the doors to those sorts of things. You've mentioned guardrails a couple of times now. I know you're a longtime proponent of the potential for AI in all facets of our financial lives. But what are those guardrails and where are the limitations for fintech and for banking? So what do you want in place to make it work in this sector, which may not be necessary, say, in entertainment or retail or so on? Yeah, look, it's a really good point. Um, just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. I did some work a long time back um, involving the casino industry and techniques they use to get people to continue to stay on the, the machines in Vegas. And and some of the capabilities they have are quite insidious and quite toxic. And those techniques have obviously been used in computer gaming. Um, in many of the cases, they came from that world. But it's in, in, other, in other areas, they could be used for lots of different purposes. You know, there's a point there where that's wrong, um, where that is you're working against the customer's self-interest and, and, the, and the customer's best interest. And as I said, I, I was really gratified to see a good conversation happen across several banks, looking at how do I use these technologies to, um, to enhance the customer's life, to be more relevant in the customer's life, to be, as I said, that coach, to the personal trainer that delivers a better outcome. It was based on a hypothesis, so I think you're sound, that a more successful customer is going to be a more ultimately a more profitable customer to the bank. That just gaming the customer to try to get a few extra coins is actually not a good strategy. Uh, it's a strategy that lacks integrity, but it's also a strategy that probably won't generate strong financial returns. Ultimately, I think we start to see organizations say, I don't want to just have a, an AI endlessly try to do a cross-sell and do you want fries with that? I actually want AIs to say, well, how can I help? And if I can't help, get out of the way um, and all find ways that you can be a part of that story and that, that be part of that customer journey in a positive way. So those conversations are being had inside organizations like, you know, like Suncorp and others. And, and I think they help define what the guardrails are. How do you deliver value? How do you help manage risk? Uh, how do you deliver better, better prosperity and better outcomes? And, and obviously the reverse of that is if you're not doing those things, then you're over the other side of those guardrails. Those guardrails are really important in a sector like insurance where you've come from because, you know, you are playing a part in protecting people from huge risks, you know, at its most extreme, floods, fires, uh, earthquakes, volcanoes, so on. Um, I'm not sure how many of those you guys actually insured for. Uh, but if you could program the next iteration of ChatGPT that an insurance firm might actually pay for, what would you want it to be capable of? Oh, goodness. How long do we have here? Um, 
The I'll stop my I'll stop my uh, my timer. <laughs> Look, I think that the insurance companies are about understanding a risk, and risk is a very complex interplay of a lot of different factors. So understanding context, understanding the larger environment, you know, ultimately, you know, we're going to see a, a, a risk models that model, you know, model the world, model, you know, the economy, they model the environment, they, they model, you know, a whole bunch of, of different financial factors. And, and so where you can understand uh, a system, a complex interplay of risks and so forth, you can then manage to you know, hedge against the, the things that can happen in life. Um, and, and so I think it's it's about how do we how do banks and insurance companies and particularly your, your question is about insurance, um, how do insurance companies provide that ability to understand risks and then protect customers from you know the, the various things that they think can happen? Yeah, an interesting conversation we had was uh, as some called was flipping insurance on on the on its head. So instead of you know paying for insurance, um, you we we first started the conversation with yeah. These are the sorts of things that could possibly happen to a business like yours. You know, if you're running this sort of business, you know, the fryer can catch fire. Or if you're running a, a business with lots of inventory, you can get bur burgled. If you're running a, this, a digital business, you can get hacked. You know, understanding, you know, the probabilities of those risks actually happening to you and then saying, well, guess what? We can protect you against those. You know, here's the, here's the hard data that shows how many times these sorts of things happened and what were the impacts to businesses like yours. We want to protect you from this happening. And when you have that protect, our protection, guess what? If they were to have, if these things are to happen, you're safe. You're okay. You can sleep well at night. And and it's sort of flipping the, the sort of insurance on its head a little bit and saying, we're actually here to protect you. Um, and I think, again, you know, um, using AIs to run simulations, to run models, to uh, start to understand the, 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 the actual type of business you run. And then if we understand that business, we can then say, well, this is the sort of insurance we think you probably should have based around the sorts of risks you're likely to have based upon the unique nature of your business. So that sort of highly personalized risk pricing um, and also very transparent risk pricing as well. I think those things are coming as well. That idea of insurance companies protecting people more is quite different to the way people perceive insurance companies now, isn't it? Which is, I will pay you money, you might pay me out, and and if my um, accident or problem meets all the T and Cs, yes. so that's you know that that would be a huge change for the industry. Yeah, AI. Absolutely. And look, I've been working with, um, at Post Suncorp, I've been working with another insurance company that's doing some interesting work in the climate space. Um, and they have a parametric insurance product. So basically, you know, it sets a series of, of, of events. And if these happen as parameters in the insurance policy, they automatically pay you out. They just let you know, oh, you know, you may not have known that your your wheat crop or your your wine crop has perhaps been compromised by, you know, 30% because of frost or because of maybe smoke damage from a bushfire that was 20 kilometers away. You know, they know about it. And so they literally just send you a check. Um, and so that to me is a really interesting sort of model where you know you 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 have this parametric uh, approach, and when these parameters are, are are reached, you get paid. Um, and I think that may become more and more common. That is fascinating. Now let's get back to Chat GPT. There's a lot of people who are tinkering away with it to see what it can do, much like our next guest Sandra at Influensure. But there are also a lot of people who are dismissing it. And as a journalist, I have seen what happens when people dismiss new tech out of hand and think it's not coming for their jobs because generally 
It always does. Simon, what should people be watching closely with this new application? I think we're seeing ChatGPT as a prototype. It's, it's running within a sandbox. It has lots and lots of limitations. It's, it's running within a sandbox deliberately. They don't, they don't want it to start, start trawling the entire internet and, and becoming so dynamic and, and sort of polymorphic where it, it just it is, is changing and evolving too rapidly. So, so you have to see it for where it is. It's an experiment right now. Um, Becoming a very strange experience-like thing. Very much. Um, it, there's, there's lots of companies building really interesting integrations. Yeah, I think we, we can, so we'll see a flood of, of people experimenting around an experiment. And, and that's great. Um, but we're also going to see a point in a very not so distant future when this thing is, is live. It's connected to the internet. It's connected to news feeds. It's connected to weather. It's connected to contextual information. And now it's also a, a, a production platform with five nines of availability and a pricing model that is, is somewhat locked in. So people can now build an economy around these technologies. We're not there yet, but we're not far off it either. Um, and so... That's a point to watch. When this thing goes live and it's connected to the internet, this is going to explode uh, in, in a way that's, you know, maybe people might say it's already exploded and that's actually not the case. It's, this is just, you know, the early starts. I do think this, the use of open AI, the use of AI in general will be as profound as the rollout of the internet, the rollout of the, of the, of the web. Um, yeah, it, it is a profound shift. It, these things also are not isolated. You know, the semantic web. The, the web that describes itself, the distributed web, yeah, the Web3 story, all of these things are actually connected together. And we'll start to see some really interesting things. You know, uh, we also will start to see businesses that are just an AI. You know, and in, in some areas already, we see countries recognizing AIs as corporations or as persons. You know, Estonia recognizes AI as a person. So you could actually have a business that's not owned by a person, or maybe it's owned by a, bo- a person somewhere as, as a board, but it's run as a as an independent, autonomous enterprise, uh, providing a variety of products. It could provide software engineering products. It could provide knowledge management products. It could provide stock and financial advice products. It could provide insurance products. It could provide e-commerce products. And it's, doesn't it's, there is actually no human involved other than maybe a shareholder or an oversight. So so these these things are coming quite quickly. We're, they, they already exist. But I think they'll start to mature rapidly. In that context, you know, AI has a lot of precedent to learn from uh, when it comes to corporate behavior. How do you make an AI which um, is a good corporate citizen? You know, how do you make it so it's not going to be learning from, it's not going to be reading barbarians at the gate and then learning from... From from that, and it's not going to be taking the Exxon model and going, hmm, all right, let's do that. There's a whole podcast that we should do at some point around the future of reg tech and the, and the future of regulation and oversight, because I think the future is actually AI. You know, that, that uh, APRA, um, and, you know, they literally have a set of, of agents that run across a bank or an insurance company, and they're looking for particular events and transactions and profiles, and they're continuously profiling the state of the, um, you know, of the financial services organization in real time. Um, they're looking for risks, and they're looking for areas where potentially we can optimize and improve. You know, that's the ultimate future. We're, we're not there yet, but it's coming. And if, if you're working in sort of in, in the reg area, I think... You would become clear that 
over time, the amount of data that the regulators are requiring is as we continue to go from you know quarterly to monthly to you know continuous data feeds of, of summary information to ultimately you know a shift to actually just just give us access. Our AI is it's going to trawl through your your core systems and understand sort of any risks. And if we see something, we'll let you guys know first so you can fix it. But if you don't fix it, again, guess what? We're going to raise raise some red flags, or maybe we'll throttle your business a little bit in some way to to, to manage those risks. So definitely, I think you know, that AIs will act uh, and, and agents will act as you know sort of guardrails as well over you know sort of what sort of transactions are acceptable or what sort of behaviours are acceptable. Thank you, Simon. It's always lovely chatting about the potential of AI with you. Thank you very much. Great to be back. If Simon is a futurist when it comes to AI, our next guest is using it in her everyday work life. Sandra Ernst is a German expat with a master's in Arabic and Islamic finance. This led her to Malaysia, where she worked in the Sharia-compliant private equity real estate sector, And she's been in Singapore with her family since 2016, where she now works with Igloo Insure, a company founded by former Grab CTO, Weizhou. Igloo is a platform that makes digital insurance products. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you for having me. Now we can start talking about Igloo. Can you tell me, can you tell us about it, what it does, and how it currently uses AI to be a competitive player in the industry? So Igloo is a Singapore headquartered, a Southeast Asia focused full stack insure tech company uh, with the pain to make insurance uh, simple, affordable um, and painless. The way we use AI, I think um, as a as a tech company, we, we have been exploring it um, ever since we, we started to make uh, human processes or to re- replace human processes completely or to complement them, which means that we, we use AI from the claims journey, for example, to the underwriting journey, and also the, the risk journey. To give a couple of specific examples of what that means to us, like when I speak of the claims journey, it's basically making the claim process much more efficient and automated. So we have products where instead of of a team member like looking at the claims and assessing them, uh, there would be like a rule-based approach, a rule-based AI approach that would assess the claim uh, based on parameters that we define and then make a decision on that. Uh, So that is one of the use cases. When I speak of the, the risk management or underwriting, that is another one where we basically assess the risk of an individual policyholder uh, also based on various factors, and then we can price in the individual risk. And we have also tried out uh, AI usage uh, where I think one of the, the typical examples is, for example, for car insurance, right? In the past, you would insure the, the driver based on the, the risk according to the age and like some other factors you looked into. Well, now the newer use cases are looking at at driving behavior of that uh, driver. Where are they driving? How fast are they driving? What time of the day are they driving? Uh, to assess the risk there as well, based on that. Have you looked at anything incorporating any kind of climate change things into your insure, insure tech? A really interesting question, because we actually just launched a weather insurance product in uh, Vietnam. Um, which sits on on the blockchain and uh, it's basically a completely automated insurance product um, where from the moment the the farmers sign up for it, 
um, that's where the whole automation and rule-based approach and like smart contract journey starts. Um, so we are integrated into weather monitoring stations, the, uh, pull the data from there. And then the moment um, uh, um, there, there are specific periods that we assess the data. And uh, if the data is, or the weather fall is below or above a certain level, we would automatically um, make the decision on the claim and then the claim would be paid out. Um, so that's a, a great use case as well, right? Where it's around automated decision making um, and you you simplify the whole end-to-end -end process for, for a product. There have been like smaller projects where people were were testing it, but it's uh, it's still a very, very new concept. And uh, I think it's really one where um, myself, uh, a big part of the team, where you know, we are really excited about it. Let's talk about the new AI kid on the block, and that's chat GPT. Have you been playing around with this? Within wow. your business? <laughs> uh, so I love it. Um, I have been playing around with it for a while. And uh, I I don't know how much you have tried it, but uh, you know it's uh, it's beautiful in a in a sense that it's like having a conversation with with an expert, right? While also being aware where the shortcomings or the limitations are. Like I, I think the um, where it's amazing to use and where I have used it for my for my day to day work as well is um, for asking or for, for getting specific information for getting started you know when I work on on a policy or like a, a process and I just don't want to do that initial work to, to put down the structure and the initial thoughts um, it's fantastic for that I've also explored uh, using it in other areas like yesterday at an event and I uh, talked to people and they're actually using it for their compliance um, where they are starting to integrate uh, natural language processing technologies like ChatGPT in their um, compliance um, portals or like everything that is being stored in Confluence, for example. And then it's uh, instead of basically having, you know, when you have a question about compliance, can we do this? Can we not do that? What is our rule around that? And like having to Google and having to find exactly the key terms that would be used in compliance, you can use um, the equivalent of ChatGPT and you can just ask a question the way you would ask a colleague um, and they would recognize, right? Okay, you're not using 100, like one-to-one -one the, the same wording, but you're referring to that. And instead of them pointing you to section uh, 10.5a.3 or so and say read it yourself they would say you know like this is the response to your question right like you can do this or you cannot do that um, so massive um, improvement or potential improvement there as well for work I think where it's around helping us to be better at, at writing at initial uh, policy creation at uh, compliance with the policies that we already have in place. Um, I think where the shortcomings still are, at least the, the ones that I'm also seeing as legal compliance questions, I have asked things where I knew exactly the answer was, was different and it very confidently gave me the wrong answer. And I tried to find out where it did get that wrong answer from. And I mentioned it, I was like, you know, from what I know, this is the answer. And it was like, yeah, you are right. Sorry for giving you the wrong information earlier. But I couldn't understand why it would have given me then for the wrong information earlier. And I think that's where, you know, we need to be very careful. It's great for initial research, but everything it, it says still needs to be verified. Yeah, it's for things like compliance and legal issues and accounting issues, I imagine as well. 
you know, it's trawling the entire internet. It's not trawling just a legal database or a medical database or an accounting database. And so there is going to be misinformation out there that ChatGPT picks up and, as you say, very confidently says, this is your answer. How are you reckoning at the moment with the time limit? Because, of course, the data is not up to date. Mm-hmm. It's, learnings are not up to date. They stop in 2021, I believe. And I imagine with compliance, this is an area where you also need very up-to-date information. So have you run into that roadblock at all yet? Yeah, so I, I would never use it um, to to try to get up-to-date information. I think I would uh, I would really use it for simpler tasks there. And I think where I see a, a very big potential advantage is like once you have to find your compliance policies, once you already know them uh, for, for internal usage and for making compliance a bit more uh, more natural, more like um, integrated more in, in processes, right? Like it's one thing to have policies uh, drafted, but then no one looks at them ever. Um, and you might have inconsistencies across policies that you can't detect unless you have a very smart uh, language processing tool that also helps you identify that. There have been technologies like that also before already, but I think um, looking at what chat GPT can do, it's just a different level and it's so much more accessible, right? Let's look at the blue sky possibilities for chat GPT 2.0, 5.0, and all of its uh, successes within the insure tech and fintech industries. What do you imagine it could do for your industry? Um, so I think a lot of it, and also because these are the use cases I'm currently looking into it, are that operational efficiency of, uh, of cus- nicer better customer servicing, more standardized customer servicing, right? Like if you have How so? if you have a hundred different customer servicing agent, um, depending on how strong your training is and how long the people have been with the company, I'm sure they would handle things slightly differently. So you might not have the same level of of brand recognition, of like service level as you can do if you use technology that that helps you with that. It could also be like identifying, right? Like where are um, cases handled in a way where that's not in line with how we want to act as a company, like customers getting frustrated, um, people not not handling escalation cases in the right way. That's one. I think another one is really that uh, the risk-based pricing for insurance companies um, where, you know, based on the information that you receive from customers, you can offer them a very specific premium rate. Now, that is a tricky one, though, because one of the key concepts of insurance is pooling, risk pooling, right? Like you take a lot of different people in one pool, in one bucket, and you know that some of them or most of them will never claim at all, and then others will will claim, and like overall it, it works out and you still make a bit of a profit. The customer is insured, they have that security, um, and that works. But if you if you price everyone according to their individual risk what that would do is um is a you 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 might not have that pooling effect anymore so you actually just like price exactly the the chance that this individual person will will access that risk and then um you price people out of insurance right like you have people that fall into certain risk groups and they might not actually have access to an insurance anymore based on certain data points that might apply to a group they're in, but that might not, not actually apply to them. Like they might never ever develop a, a certain disease only because the group they belong to, like slightly overweight, um, being from a from a certain ethnic group, like there's racial bias and uh, bias and data. There's like 
um, uh, age bias in, in data, there's lifestyle bias in data. So you have to be very careful with that. Do you think that that sort of evolution of the technology could lead eventually to private companies being mandated to cover people uh, whether they're insurable or not? Um, it could be, depending on the mandate a company has as well, right? Like uh, I started my career in banking in Germany and there actually um, some of the banks had a mandate by the government to open bank accounts for anyone. And the private banks didn't have that mandate. They could be like, you know, you're not a customer that that is actually that we know we will ever make money with. Um, so we refuse to open a bank account for you. But there were banks because banking, access to banking services is a fundamental right. And it's so important in 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 any country, actually, for, for people if they have access to the formal banking or finance sector. So, yes, definitely. Like, I, I can see that. I can also see that instead of um, of applying um, a detect and, and repair kind of approach, where we basically say we detect certain risk and, you know, we just exclude you. And we say, like, we don't want you unless you you, you change some of these factors. We could move to a, um, a predict and prevent approach where we say, like, based on your profile, you do fall into that higher risk category. But... We give you suggestions on what you could change and, you know, what if you have a higher risk of developing certain uh, type of chronic diseases, we, we we say if you do these lifestyle, lifestyle changes, um, we ensure you, we give you the same coverage, we give you the same premium, but, you know, we want to, to help you prevent your, your chance of developing these diseases. And then you would still have the people included, but with, you know, encouraging um, certain changes it's a tricky one right like because where, where do you draw the line and how much uh, um, can you tell people uh, what to do but that could be an approach as well that i think is is interesting um to continue having that pooling effect to continue not pricing out customers that are most in need of of insurance um, but still benefit from the advantage of ai and and data analytics continuing with this idea of the potential problems that AI and and natural language processing programs might create. Do you think compliance issues could be out there? Could they and, and and could they be overcome to make conversational AI work for banks and insurers? Yeah, I think compliance issues are general risk issues that uh, that I'm concerned about when looking at AI. Is um, you know how does AI make the decisions, right? And um, and can we understand that? And it sounds it sounds great when you look at some of the potential use cases, but um, there are regulators out there, uh, there are there are industry um, groups that are defining the standards that AI should fulfill in order to be properly applied. And I just looked at the MAS guidelines yesterday, and it was about transparency in terms of how they make how AI makes the decision, so you know whether there's any. Uh, any biases that you don't want to actually include in in the decision making process. In order for AI to work properly for your organization, you have to define what what ethics means for you, what level of empathy you would want um, AI to apply, and that could be completely different across organizations. And then the third one is uh, accountability, and um, the the fourth one is like fairness in in the approach. And you know they talk about what that means for for the individual um, uh, companies or for for companies in the financial financial space. And I think that's an important one, right? Like defining this because if you implement AI and there's no one who who checks on it, 
it can get out of control in terms of um, it can become racist, it can become sexist. I'm going to take you back to the chat GPT question around customer service. Could chat GPT be an assistant to a new call center staff member? And would that eventually change who you hire? Uh, absolutely. Like, um, I think for, you know, for certain use cases, it could be completely, um, uh, it could completely replace the the need for, for a human. And then there are use cases where, again, you would want to, to simplify the life um, of your CS agents by having that access to a database, like, hey, what can we do? Hey, how would you assist or how would you assess uh, th- that case? Can you provide a template on how to handle that that escalation nicer? Or it could be like, you know, ChatGPT or something similar. They would just immediately draft the response and you would review it and then you would you would send it out. Um, it definitely means hiring people that are more comfortable addressing um, more complex um, use cases, and that also to a basic level understand, right, like w- what their responsibility is when using AI. Like they can't blindly use it and accept everything that that AI suggests. They still have to have like a basic knowledge of of what's going on. They need to understand when there might be uh, there might be differences in our policies. So AI is like pulling the wrong data potentially, right? Like when markets or, or regulations change, like you need to to update them. Uh, so I it definitely like, you know, people who are blindly following SOPs, I think it's been coming for a long time. Like it started when I started working 20 years ago and people were worried about ATMs replacing them because they couldn't like count the cash in front of them to the customer anymore. Right. That skill is just not really needed, but there will be other skills that will be needed in order to to apply it correctly. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sandra. I'm Rachel Williamson, and you've been listening to Breaking Bags Asia. If you enjoyed today's episode of Breaking Bags Asia, don't forget to share it on Twitter, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, or wherever you listen to our show. This helps us build our audience and support our sponsors so we can continue to bring you a great show every fortnight.